Oh my gosh. I don't know what to say. I really don't. No, that's good though, isn't it? And we need, we need to laugh. Like this is really important. Um, I know it doesn't seem like super spiritual to tell jokes, but did you know that Jesus had a sense of humor and he told jokes? Like we don't get them from our perspective, but the whole plank in your eye thing, like to them that was funny. Like they were laughing at that one, you know, kind of like one of my jokes where no one thinks it's funny. I'm I'm storing up some whoppers, so just stay tuned and keep on coming. I got a couple of really good ones that I can't tell right now. They don't fit my message, but anyway, getting there. All right, what I do want you to watch is this video meme that is trending right now. I saw this thing. I'm like, that's going to preach, and you've probably already seen it. But uh, let's go ahead and show that video. If we could lower the lights, because this is really important. It's very profound. So, I have to do it. I have to show it. Hopefully it makes sense. We could probably all go home now, right? We could probably all go home. I don't think, I think you got the idea where we're going. And the reason why I showed this cute little lamb stuck in a ditch, hops out, is set free by a good shepherd boy, and then immediately just jumps right back into that trench. How many people have done that? We all can relate to this. And the reason why I'm showing a really silly, fun video is because we're going to be talking about some really heavy stuff today. We're going to be doing some heavy lifting. This is a practical application type of a sermon. It's James. There's some, there's some work to be done. There's some heavy lifting. And so today we're going to be talking about temptation we're going to be talking about sin. We're going to be talking about your bad habits. And so I just need a light in the mood here. Yeah? You see it? Is it okay? And I want to give you permission. I want to give you permission to make light of the times when you jump in that trench again. Like you, like this, let's just laugh at some of our mistakes. I mean, unless you're an axe murderer, like this is... Like, okay, I blew it again. And let's just get back on the wagon. Amen? So we can do this. So, bad habits, temptation, sin, blowing it. We've all, oh man, that's my phone. Yeah, yeah, bad habits, and it's not Jesus calling, as I, positive, not that time. Okay, so, in our church, 
we frame it this way. You were once a sinner. You've been saved by grace. If you, ha- if you haven't, then uh, we've got good news for you. But most of us have. The identity that you are to attach yourself to after you've received the saving grace of Jesus. And it is a free gift. It's something that you did not work for. It's something that you did not earn. You didn't chalk up enough Christian karma points to get you to where you need to be. It's free. The moment that you receive that free, free gift, your identity in the mind of Christ has changed from you being a sinner and you be, to you being a saint. So you are now in sainthood. Amen? And this is the identity that we have to embrace. You were once a sinner. You are now a saint. But here's the truth, and we all know this. You are a saint that occasionally sins. Yeah? It is impossible to become sinless in this life. If you're sinless, well, then, I don't know, I guess you get to kick Jesus out of his throne. But you will sin. It's impossible to continue, even though the best of us, even me, I'm going to sin before I die. I'm probably going to sin before I walk out of this building. Okay? But my mind in Christ is, okay, that's not my identity. I'm not a sinner. I will, I will never be sinless. There's always going to be those little quirks, those little hang-ups, those habits that I'm going to default to. So I'm, that's going to happen. That's going to be... That's going to be now. I'm always going to be dealing with that. I'm always going to sin. Because I can never be sinless. Only Jesus is sinless. But I can choose to sin less. Amen? I want to do some less sinning here. And this is the point of whole James. I'm going to choose to quit making bad decisions. Quit making bad you know, just blunders and habits that aren't healthy. Now, we know this. This is true. You know it. And we felt it. I could feel it coming on when the COVID happened. I knew that this was going to push us into a season of stress and pressure and pain. You could just see it on the horizon. You didn't have to be a a prophet to, to foresee that this is going to be a hard season that we are in. And thank God, it looks like we're coming out of it. I don't know if you remember the series that I started. I'm like, okay, we are going to fast and we're going to pray. We're going to hunker down because this is, I mean, we have to change our mindset because you're not going to make it through this season unless there is a, a discipline on the body and a discipline on the soul and a dedication to prayer. Now, that was how I started off COVID. And in my own personal life, during the season, like I said, I'm not a perfect person. I've sinned. I've blown it in the past hour. Um, <laughs> the elephant's upstairs. Yay. I 
I probably have blown it more this past year than I did the year before, okay? And I'm going to tell you why. It's because, uh, not my fault, it's COVID's fault. Okay, it, it plays a part. And I'm, I'm wanna, I want to tell you this, it will help you with your perspective and with your processing things. Oh, first of all, let me just say you are 100% responsible for your behavior and your actions and your decisions. It's all you. We're, we're a, we, you know, we believe that we have a choice and you have a choice and you get to choose what, what, which direction you, you take in life. That's 100% true. But the environment will affect you. The pressures of this world will test and push. When you are tempted under pressure, you are more likely to blow it. Yeah? So this is what we're going to be looking at today. We are in a, a series on the book of James. James was written by the, the brother of Jesus himself. We, we check out that uh, the first week when we started. I did a little uh, preview of it. And he's going to talk about how you walk through life when you are under pressure. He was writing to a very specific people, Jewish Christians in the developing Christian world who were being persecuted. They were under intense pressure. A lot of them got scattered. Their worlds were flipped upside down. And so maybe you can relate. James has written to you because all of our worlds were turned upside down within a year. A lot of people are moving. A lot of people are displaced. A lot of people are broke. Uh, well, I don't really want to say that we're persecuted. It's very low-grade persecution. They start killing us, then, then that's persecution. So let's not whine about being persecuted these days. Amen? All right. I'll, I'll let you know when you, you feel like you're being persecuted. But it's, it's very practical. It, we, can, we can take the same pressures and we can apply it to our, what we are going through. And last week, you know, one of the, we hit on a very important issue. One, one of the things that takes place, one of the, the reactions when you're under stress, when you're pressured, when your world is turned upside down, the, the initial response is anxiety, Right? So last week's topic was on the issue of anxiety. It was preached by Abigail Woodcook and the youth church. And in my opinion, it was a breakthrough Sunday. And those are very few and far between. I wish I could say every Sunday was a breakthrough Sunday, but that one definitely was a breakthrough Sunday. It was a defining moment. There was a pivot. There was a change. Something shifted in the spirit. The destiny of this church will be different because of that Sunday. It's because we went after this thing called anxiety and we won a victory. So if you didn't watch that one, catch it online. It's, it should be posted by now. And if you know anybody that is dealing with anxiety, uh, specifically a young person or a teenager... I don't know what to tell you. Like, tie them down, make them watch it, open their eyelids. Uh, they just need to see it. It's transformative. I couldn't have preached it better myself. But today we're talking about why we get to those anxious moments. 
what leads up to it. So if you want to get your Bibles out, so this is the Bible I'm using right now. This is just the book of James. It's super tiny, but it is so chock full of stuff, and we're pretty much going line by line, precept upon precept in this series. Don't always do it that way, but we're doing it that way on this one because it is so rich. And again, James is a practical book. If you pay attention, you can like find the steps and you can find the way. It's really good stuff. So James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. That might seem like a silly statement, but a lot of people think that inside of their hearts. Like God is doing this to me. God is tempting me. He's putting me in this situation. God is doing bad things to me because I deserve it. We think all kinds of weird things. So it, it, I'll show you why it fits. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, his own wrong desire. I guess I should be equal on this. His or her own desires. The desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when it is fully grown, brings forth, ultimately, death. I could easily argue for a literal death, but we can, we can abstract it. We can make it spiritual death, emotional death, uh, social death. You name it. And a lot of people walk around in these days with death in their lives, and they need a resurrection. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now, that seems pretty straightforward, but if you press into the text and read it in the Greek, it says, don't be deceived, don't be tricked. By your own feelings. Don't be tricked by your own emotions, by your own thoughts. Don't deceive yourselves. I I shouldn't say I'm flabbergasted, but I am surprised at how many people these days are believing their own lies that they tell about themselves. They're believing what what they think about themselves and what other people think about them. They are literally, they literally believe their own lies. It's a form of deception that moves us into living in a place that is just not reality. And this is what I believe James is getting at. So how do we, how do we come at the, the, the stresses and the tensions and the temptations of this world? How do we avoid anxiety altogether? Would you like to know? Because I would like to learn how to avoid anxious situations. And so James and we're going to walk through nine different things that we could practically do. I know that's a lot, but like I said, this is very practical stuff, some heavy lifting here. And so it's going to feel a little like psychobabble, but it's all Bible. Amen. All right, here we go. Number one, you need to know what your default coping strategy is. Maybe you want to write that down. What is your default coping strategy? So when stress, tensions, hardships, Failures, 
when you find yourself freaking out, what is your default coping strategy? Everybody has one, and everybody's is usually a little bit different. And I think you probably know where I'm going. When you're stressed out, what do you do to cope? What's your strategy? Well, we've got a prayer. That's a good one. I'm talking about negative things right now. <laughs> so we'll get, we're going to get prayer is the answer. Jen, she, she got it. Prayer is the answer. It's the opposite of worry. Netflix. Okay, chocolate. There we go. So, so here's some ideas of what our coping strategies that are not of God are. Food. We, we, eat, we do comfort food, we eat. Drinking. We, you know, and you, you know the language. Oh, I, just, I need a couple of drinks to take the edge off. I've had a really long, hard day, and I need to take the edge off. And I'm not saying that's necessarily like, I'm not going to grind you on that. But when you move yourself into drunkenness so that you can escape the pain, you get the idea, right? All right, let's keep going. Sleep. Yeah, that's right. You can sleep too much. When things get stressful and hard... Sometimes the best thing to do or your coping strategy is just to, you know, roll up in your little cocoon in your bed and stay underneath your covers. For some of you, that might be silly. Uh, I can tell you that's a true thing that happens with a lot of people. They just don't want to get out of bed. There's like, I, you know, I just feel safe. I'm like, and it goes back to, you know, being in the security of your mother's womb. So they just sleep all day long. They, just, they can avoid the problems by staying in bed. All right, ready for this one? I should probably sit down. Right? All the guys are going to be going, yes! The girls are going to be going, ah, oh. shopping. Shopping is definitely a default strategy for coping for stress. Why? It's because this is how God made us. When God made us this way in order for us to survive, in order for us to provide, is that we get a, we get a hit. We get a dopamine hit when we, pop, when we buy something that is, that is clothes or or provision, like it's in, our, it's in our reptile brain. I don't know if we have reptile brains. Some anthropologists think that we do. But we, we get something out of it. It feels good when we buy something. And now we have Amazon. Oh, boy. Yep. You'll be like, can we start talking about alcoholics again, Josh? I don't want to talk about shoppers. Talk about those bad people. All right, ready for the next one? Coping strategy? <laughs> I got I to gotta know. Ready for this? Binging Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus. Like full-blown addiction. It's the same thing, folks. It's the same thing as alcoholism. It could easily have the same effects. I learned this. I didn't realize that that was in me until Battlestar Galactica came out. Like, that thing took my life away. I'm like, oh, do I go to Bible study or do I watch the next? It, it was bad. I'm like, you got to get a hold of yourself, Josh. This is Battlestar Galactica. It's just, a, it's not even real. I'm going to do a series on the gospel according to Battlestar Galactica. Gaming. Drugs. Gambling, porn, these are the big bad boys, right? Withdrawing. I, I mean, isolate. We were, like, we were told to isolate. 
Uh, that doesn't mean that you, you, you had the right to not stay connected to your church family and your friends. And But sometimes isolation is a coping mechanism. Like, I'm just going to be by myself. I'm going to hide, and I'm not going to reach out, even though I have a phone, even though I can do the Zoom thing, even though I can mask. Like I, that's like a coping thing. Because it's just easier to stay in the shell than it is to try and make life happen in any way that we possibly can. Angry outbursts is another coping mechanism. You just lose it. You just, came un, you just come unglued. Now here's another one I'm going to highlight. Again, I could spend all day on the big bad boys like porn and addictions and alcohol and drugs. But here's one. Here's one for all of us. Ready? In times of stress, when you feel out of control... A great coping mechanism is to become a control freak. Over-controlling can be a coping mechanism. When I got COVID, very frustrating. Why? Because it was out of my control. And I contended, and I fought, and I was trying to be as healthy as I possibly can be, and I wore the mask all over the place, and I cootie sprayed myself. I didn't hug people. Like, we were one of those families, and we still got it. And it took me out of my ability to control a situation. I could not control the fact that I lost taste and smell. Very frustrating. My prayer life went up because I'm a control freak and I wanted to pray it away. Out of my control. Very frustrating. When the fatigue sat, you know, began to sit in, it's like, what's going on? Like, I'm trying to take care of myself, and this is out of my control. And then the whole brain fog thing, it was, just, it, it was lousy, everybody. I didn't like it. And I could see myself trying to find little other areas in my life that I could at least feel like I could have control over and have some type of a coping mechanism for the loss that I was dealing with. You know, arranging things in particular ways and bossing the staff around. I don't know, you name it. I just... So here's the thing for all of us confessed control freaks. It's bad, everybody. Not only will it hurt you if you're a control freak, it's going to hurt, hurt your relationships and everybody around you. So if you, are, if you have found yourself in like this hyper-control mode where you are bossing people around more than usual, where you, are, where you get all of your ducks in a row, and then you intentionally mess up your ducks so that you can put them back in a row again, is that, am I speaking to you? If you are majoring on the minors, like if you're completely consumed about majoring on the minors, making sure all the little details, the things that don't really matter, if you're highlighting all the little things that don't really matter, instead of highlighting, okay, what is the condition of my heart? What's my relationship with the Lord? How am I doing in my family? How am I doing in my relationships? Do I really need to control my kids this way, or can I just let them be? Controlling is a mechanism that we use to gain some sense of autonomy when our lives become unraveled. 
You guys okay? All right. Second one. So number one is knowing your default coping strategy when times get hard. Number two is you need to know what your emotional triggers are. What is your emotional trigger? So mine is when I'm exhausted, I am weaker and I am more likely to fall to temptation when I'm exhausted. All right? So exhaustion it could be my emotional trigger. And I need to know that about myself. So if I'm spent, if I'm weak, if I'm like, like dealing with the whole COVID mind thing, it's probably not a really good idea for me to face really difficult things in that moment because I'm more likely to sin and fall prey to temptation. I need to know that about myself. And, and you need to know, like, what is yours? So what's your emotional trigger? Maybe it's just being discouraged and pessimistic. Are you a glass half empty kind of person? Do you subscribe to the Murphy's Law newsletter? I mean, like, like if you're that type of negative person, when tough times come, you're going to do what we read earlier. I am being tempted by God. Looks like this. You're driving down the road, your tire blows out. Oh, God must not love me. I knew this was going to happen. It figures. It always goes this way for me. My car always breaks down all at the wrong possible time. That's an emotional response. So if you tend to lean more towards negativity, know that about yourself and ask God to save you from it. Maybe you're bored. You know that boredom causes, you know, failure into temptation? I'm just bored. With, I don't know what to do with myself. I need some little excitement. And so, oh, temptation. Guarantee you, if you are bored and if you're like, I need, to, I need some stimulation, I need something, um, the enemy of God has something for you. And it feels really good. It's going to meet all your needs for a very short time. Lonely and disconnected. If you're a lonely person, your emotions will be triggered. Insecure. Uh, if you're wounded or hurt under pressure, like those, if those wounds aren't healed by the Holy Spirit, if you don't have any inner healing going on, if you haven't taken care of some buried pain, some unforgiveness, if you haven't developed the habit of forgiveness, you know that habit's not just a one-time deal. It is. A, I mean, forgiveness isn't a one-time deal. It's a habit. You have to do it continually. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus says, oh, you just, seven times isn't good enough. It's 70 times seven. It's infinite. Life's forgiveness is a lifestyle. Resentful, sad, or grieving. We've, we've seen this quite a bit lately, too. We've did, I think we did five funerals last month. Most people did really good in processing it. Like I, we, we pastor people to process and grieve well. Like, we need to teach people how to grieve well. I, hadn't, I didn't see it in this run, but I've seen situations where, where there was loss, where there's grief, where there was even death. And again, it goes back to, um, you know, the, your default strategy, but the grief was the trigger 
that caused the drinking. Does that make sense? I think some of, most of us could relate to that. You don't know how to, you don't know what to do with grief. It hurts so bad. And so, you know, you, you, you hit the bottle or you de- disconnect or you isolate. Like, so grief can be an emotional trigger. Now, there's going to be somebody that's coming to your emotional rescue. And it's not Mick Jagger. And it's not a guy. And it's not a gal. It's Jesus. We think that we can rely on romantic relationships to save us from emotional distress. And it, it, it's just impossible. I love my wife, but she can't save me. She can't come to my emotional rescue. She's there. She's a support. She's a guide. But the only one that can, that can rescue you from you being an emotional basket case or emotionally compromised is the Holy Spirit. He's the best counselor in the universe, and you need him. Number three, I want to encourage you to learn your patterns. There is a pattern to temptation, and it is unique to each and every one of us. So you need to know when the enemy of God will tempt you. He's not gonna, he might not tempt you today. You're, this, is, this is Sunday. This is the Lord's day. You have, you know, God's got all of your attention today. You're all locked in and focused because you're doing Sabbath Sunday. But when might be tomorrow, when you get off work or when you're on the freeway. So you need to know when it is when the enemy of God will take advantage of you. Maybe it's one o'clock in the morning. Maybe that is your when. When the enemy of God knows he's got, he's got a weak point where that's going to be the moment when he's going to tempt you. So you need to know when your when is. I'm not a morning person, and neither is my wife. That, that is our win. That, that's when we don't engage. That's when we don't have deep conversations. That's when the enemy will get a foothold into our relationship and will say things that we shouldn't say to each other because we haven't woken up yet. We call it BC, before coffee. So we don't have, co- we don't have conversations BC, before coffee. And it goes both ways. It's not just Mako. It's, it's all me. I'm just like grumpy bear in the morning. So that's my, my, that's my win. What about your where? Where are you being tempted? You know, your win might be, you know, 1 a.m. in the morning, but it also might, the where might be your bedroom when you're all by yourself. Or your where might be the bar. Can we go to bars now? I don't know. Are they open? I don't know. But that might be your where. You know where you will fall, right? You don't, guys, you guys know that? You know where you'll blow it. You know where it is. You know the location. I encourage you to know the time. So where you are be tempted. Just don't like like don't go there, right? If you came out of program, if you were an alcoholic and you came out of program, uh, your where is the bar, literally. But for some other people, the bar might not be their where. It could be Juana's Club or something. Who knows? To Kim liked that one. I knew I was going to get a giggle out of somebody. That was okay. Uh, the who? You need to know who it is that you will be with when the enemy of God will tempt you. Let me put it directly. 
who are your bad friends? Who are they? You know who they are. You know, it's the guys that mess around too much, or it's the gals that gossip too much, get you going, and you start saying things you shouldn't say. So you know who it is that is a bad feeder for you, that you will, te- that you will be tempted and you will fall to temptation if you hang out with that person. Yeah? Look, I know this to be true, everybody. I know it in my personal life, and I know it in ministry life. You can see it coming a mile away. So-and-so is hanging out with so-and-so, and it's, just, it's an environmental thing. It's just a matter of time. They're going to blow it. What does, what does Proverbs say? Bad company corrupts good character. So you need to know who your who is. You need to know what your what is. I, again, I like chocolate. I like it a lot. So that's kind of my, I know, that's a, that's a lousy what. But we'll just, for the sake of illustration, that's my what. I like chocolate, right? So I'm not emotionally compromised. I'm going to eat chocolate. It's my uh, strategy for coping. It's the food thing. But what do I get out of chocolate? What I, what I get out of it? I get, a, I get a little rush. It makes me feel good. I get this temporary relief. So you need to know what do you get out of it when you blow it, when you sin. Is it, maybe, it's, maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's just relief. Maybe what is it that you get? And I'm, I'm saying this because I want you to know what it is. I want you to know what your own triggers are. So why do I do this behavior? I do this behavior because I get this result. Here's the thing about sin. Sin's awesome. Sin's good. Sin will give you what you want for a very short amount of time. Sin will give you a benefit that, that your natural man, your natural woman desires. It knows what you want. It knows what your physical body needs. Ah, but it is so fleeting. It is so fleeting. I want to encourage you as you build in some habits, some biblical habits, like when you get the Bible, like, like just think of like, okay, this is my new piece of chocolate. Hmm? Yeah? This is, my, this is my new addiction. This is my new rush. This isn't something heavy or something, you know, that, that like makes it going to make me feel bad. Now, when you read your Bible, I want you to feel good about yourself. This is why it's a love letter written to you. Sometimes you read something like Leviticus or some weird law or something like that, and you're like, man, I feel terrible. But no, the whole picture, the whole, in its, in its, in its entirety, when you read the Word of God, it is food. It is described in Proverbs as being honeycomb. It's sweet. It's satisfying. It feels good. So, wouldn't you know what your what triggers are? Replace it with something good. And then finally on this little one is how do you feel right before you're tempted? Kind of goes back to your emotional triggers. How do you feel right before you're tempted, right before you know you're going to blow it? Do you feel sad? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel disconnected? Do you feel angry? Do you feel stressed? Like, just right before, once you know that there's temptation is coming, like, I want you to identify the feeling that's going to 
um, allow yourself to make a bad decision, to put your, push yourself over the edge? What, like, what is that feeling? Okay, number four, avoid situations. I kind of hit on that earlier. Proverbs 4, 26 through 27 says, plan carefully what you do. Avoid evil. Walk straight ahead. Don't go one step off the right path. Don't deviate to the right. Don't deviate to the left. Avoid bad situations at all costs. Now, I know I kind of hit on that, but I have another angle that you need to get from this point. It's so vital. It's so crucial. When we are talking about your sin and my sin, when we're talking about temptation and all these horrible things that I read, food, drinking, sleeping, shopping, binging, gambling, drugs, gaming, porn, uh, being a control freak, withdrawing, angry bursts, chocolate, uh, you name it. Like When we're thinking about all of these things that, that hold us in, in captivity, that are, that are demons, yeah? When we're, when we're on these things, you got to stay on track. You can't get distracted. And focusing on our sin, ready for this, is a distraction from Jesus. What? All right, it goes like this. My thing's chocolate. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to eat that chocolate. Not going to eat that chocolate. The chocolate over there is on the table. I'm not going to eat it. Not going to go there. Go over to somebody else. Oh my gosh, they're offering me chocolate. I'm going to resist. No more chocolate. Chocolate, no. Chocolate bad. It's, it's going to like, you know, it's going to make, it's going to make me sick. Chocolate's bad. No chocolate. Chocolate bad. One o'clock in the morning, alone in my bedroom. Guess what I'm doing? I'm eating chocolate. Why? Because I've spent all day long obsessing about not eating chocolate. I have been resisting it for 23 hours, fighting the good fight in strength. But this is that one little hour that, uh, again, where I'm tired, exhausted, weak, compromised, where I'm going to fall and blow it. So what's the antidote for that? In that scripture that we read, it is staying on this path. I don't know if you noticed, but it didn't say you just focus on your sin. You don't focus on your sin. If you focus on your sin, you're going to lose. You need to focus on Jesus and you're going to win. What we resist in life will continue to persist. What I'm saying is it needs to be replaced. Whatever your temptation is, whatever your default sin is, whatever your addiction is, you can't overcome it. The only thing you can do is replace it with the power of the Holy Spirit. So replace it with something good. Chocolate tastes good. So does the Word of God, everybody. So do you see that? Well, I really like doing drugs because I get high. Get yourself into enough prayer meetings and you're going to get high on the Holy Spirit. Replace it. Replace the addiction. Replace the high with something spiritual. Well, I really like how I feel when I get drunk. Uh, read Acts 2. <laughs> like they were drunk on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit replaced something that we would see bad with something that is so good. So you can do this. You can, you, and that is, that's the freedom that we have in Christ. 
is finding that thing that is keeping us down that, that we're going to eventually fall prey to and just replacing it with something good that is in the Word. Number five, ask God for help when you are being tempted. Oh my gosh, Pastor Josh, how do I, how do I ask? I'm being tempted. How do I ask God for help? This is what you do. Help! It's going to be like a short prayer. Like super short, but to the point. Help! God, I need your help right now. Like I'm on the verge of blowing it. You just ask God for help. It is, he's so faithful. Like if you, ask, if you ask God for help from an honest place in your heart, if there's no emotional manipulation going on with God, if you truly ask Him for help, He will help. He will bring people into your life that will come alongside of you. He will give you a vision. He will give you healing. He will transform. Like if you really ask God for help, there's a way. It might be instant. It might be process. But God's here to help you. Number seven, I know I skipped number six, but I already did that one. I, I combined it two things. Number seven, this is going to be tough stuff. But you need to be in community. You can't do the Christian faith alone, and you can't overcome temptation alone either. Some of the big megachurch pastors that blow it they're i mean it seems like they're in community but in reality they've isolated themselves to their own celebrity they're, they're truly not connected to somebody in a in a growing way there is no accountability look the holy spirit can help you overcome temptation you're in your word, it's going to breathe life into you. But the way that we're wired is we're wired to do this thing together and in a group. And I know that's very hard. It's very hard nowadays to try and get social because we're all socially awkward. Like we, we just don't really know how to act or talk around each other anymore. Can't quite figure out what's going on behind the mask. And it's, just, it's weird, it's complicated, but we all can have grace for one another. You really don't know what's going on in somebody else's head. Chances are they don't hate you. So I want to encourage you to be a part of a growth group. I understand why you're not, because life is busy. But guys, that's not an excuse. I want to encourage you to do it. I'll be starting one up in a couple of weeks. It's going to be Zoom. We've got two other guy groups that are in person. We have at least three women's growth groups that are in person and online. I want to encourage you to do it. We'll even work around your schedule in this church. There's even a little fill-in thing that if you want to lead your own group, we'll train you how to do it. But it is so vital that you're in one so that you can win the victory over temptation. Uh, this is what you don't have to do when you're involved in a growth group. What you don't have to do is confess all of your sins. Like, you don't need to gut yourself and spill out all over the table and freak all of your friends out. No one wants to hear that. 
But what we, what we do want to do is we want to encourage one another. Again, it's not confess your sin time. It's build one another up. It's giving each other prophetic, life-giving words over each other so we know what to hit, where we know where we can go together, where we can pray for those difficult times that we find ourselves in and knowing in unity and together that God will get us through these things. It's so important. If you're in an environment like that, a growth group of a handful of people that love you and have your best interest in mind, you won't fall into temptation naturally because you're going to be connected to something that's good. This scripture from Hebrews 10, chapter, uh, verse 25, it, its purpose is for the gathering, for what we're doing right now, but it also applies to breaking bread together. The early church was grown and solidified in a home where they ate together daily. So it applies to both, but specifically it, it, it references the worship gathering. It says this, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage each other all the more. All right, you catch that first part. Let's not give up the practice of meeting together. You are Sabbathing Sunday. This is a big deal. This is so good for you that you are coming here on Sunday. And for those of you that have been coming consistently and you're building back the rhythm of the Sabbath, like you don't even see the benefits that's taking place in your life. You don't see the change and that you've been anchored into the Sabbath rhythm, which God ordained. It's one of the Ten Commandments, doing this thing weekly. The Sabbath is so important. This gathering of taking a break and focusing a day on God is so important that the Hebrew writers that wrote the Torah said that you're not even allowed to go on vacation on Sabbath. I'm not getting legalistic, but that's how important it was. Like, you're not even supposed to, you know, fade away from the camp a little bit. They gave a a specific proximity that you had to be inside of during the Sabbath. Why? Because it reorients us. It gets us focused back on who Jesus is and why we're doing it, the the, the healing and the corporate worship. It's everything. We're going to do this right now, actually. It's a reset, everybody. might have walked in here, rolled in here with a lot of heavy stuff, a lot of sins, a lot of failures this week, a lot of foobs, said a bunch of things you shouldn't have said, thought some things you shouldn't have thought, watched some things you shouldn't have watched. That man and that woman, like you're going to kill them right here in the room, and they're going to stay here, and you're going to leave a new person. Each and every Sunday, this is why we come. We come to rededicate our lives to the Lord. So let's do it now. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and I pray right now, you forgive us of our sins. You forgive us of the big ones and the little ones. You forgive us of our failings and our doubting you. We put our whole faith and our whole trust so forgive us of our sins, and we rededicate our lives to you. And if, you don't, if you've never dedicated your life to God and you're on board right now, look, you're part of the family. 
If, you, if you're believing in your heart, you're declaring with your mouth, and the Word of God says that you're saved. So as a church family, we rededicate, we reset right now. In this very moment, my brothers and sisters, if you prayed that with me in your hearts, if you ask God to forgive you of your sins, you're sinless. Good deal. I also want to encourage you to find someone that you can confide in. One person. Maybe you do have a heavy sin that you need to get off your chest. Again, don't get yourself at a small group and freak everybody out. Find somebody that you can trust that is a believer and open your heart to them so they can hold you accountable. I have that. You should too. And I also want to close with this. God is on your side. He's for you. He's not against you. When temptations come into your life, remember that they are no different from what others commonly experience. And God is faithful. He will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Amen? Also, when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you will be able to stand. 1 Corinthians 10. James closes with this. James says to us, God blesses people who continue strong when they are tempted. They will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. I don't know what a crown of life is. I just know that it's really good. We'll also go on to say that every good and perfect gift. Ready for this? Every good and perfect spiritual habit comes from the Father of lights who will shine His glorious light on us all, cleansing us from all impurity, saving us from wrath, and delivering us into heaven itself. Would you stand? Let's worship.